Today, we're starting a new series called Urgent, a new series called Urgent. This is something that we kind of shifted a few months ago. We were kind of plowing away at a different subject, and it just felt the Lord kind of impressed on my heart that this is where we need to land for the next couple of weeks. And, and really, what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks is the urgent nature of our calling to take Jesus to the world. The, the word urgent means this. It means requiring immediate action or attention requiring immediate action or attention. We all have things in our life that we know require immediate action, that we got to give our attention right now. We can't wait until tomorrow. We can't schedule it for next week. We've got to get after it today. And here's what I'm hoping we see in the next few weeks, that the gospel is an urgent message that the world desperately needs and that we have been called, we have been trusted by God with this mission of taking this message to the world. And eternity is at stake. I mean, if, if we really believe that Jesus is coming back, anybody in here believe he is? If we really believe that hell is real, if we believe that Jesus is the only hope of the world, then we need to see the urgent nature of this message. And this is what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. So here's what I want to do just for a moment. I want to pause and I want to give you an opportunity just to pray and ask God to prepare your heart that this sermon series that we're going to be in the next couple of weeks, that you would lean in to hear from the Lord of what he has for you specifically. So I'm going to get you to bow your heads if you would. Just take about 30 seconds and just ask God to, to center your heart on him so that you can hear from his word. Father, in the quietness of this moment, maybe for many of us, it's the most quiet moment we've had in days. Father, I pray that you would stir in our hearts the reality of the urgent calling that you've given us. And Father, that we would run after this mission you've given us. God, for people in the room that are online who don't know you, I pray that they would recognize the urgent calling of responding to the gospel. And Lord, maybe we be found faithful in both our response to you, making you our king, and then proclaiming your kingdom to the world. So God, fall in this place today and the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, so grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, as we start this series called Urgent. I want to talk about the, one of the most difficult subjects in all the Bible, and I'm going to do it from one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible, um, and we're going to talk about the last days, the, the return of Jesus. I know for many people, when we talk about the last days or the return of Christ, there's this sense of uh, uncertainty, of, there's questions that come, and maybe for those of you who have been around the church a while, you kind of get your time chart out and your uh, your, all of your, the diagrams of when you think Jesus is coming and what it's going to look like. And I'm not going to get into all of that. What we are going to do is we want to press into this subject and really wrestle with two pivotal questions. Two pivotal questions. Question number one is this. If, if we were living in the last days and Jesus could return at any moment, because I believe that he could, are you ready for his return? Are you certain of where you'll spend eternity if Christ was to return today? The second question is this, is for those of you who are certain, the second question is simple. Are you being faithful to Jesus? Are you being faithful on his mission? 
These are the two questions I want to lean into, because I know for many of us with our backgrounds in church, or whether it's uh, maybe you don't know much about what the Bible teaches on the last days. Maybe it's just what culture you've heard kind of dripped into your life. I know for me as a kid, I, I, I grew up in a church where it was talked about a lot, maybe too much. And we would have this as a conversation at home oftentimes. And I remember as a kid freaking out about the end times, like, like at the last days, I'm telling you. Like, I remember, this is kind of silly, but it happened. So I remember one time, uh, I was like 13 years old. My parents, we, all, we kind of lived uh, like on a 200-acre farm with some other cousins and, and, and relatives. And so mom and dad went down to uh, my aunt and uncle's house, crossed the field, and uh, said to be back around 7.30. Well, 9.30, they hadn't showed up. So I was, I was certain. I'm like, Jesus came back, and I'm left behind. And I don't even have Kirk Cameron's number to call and see if I can get bailed out here. I don't... I don't even know what to do uh, in this moment. So I remember grabbing a flashlight, 13, walking all the way, like a half mile through this uh, field and through the woods to get there to discover that they had not been taken and I had not been left. Um, and I know for many of you, this is the, the kind of thought that you have. It's kind of unsettling. And here's what I want to say to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, the talk and conversations of the last days should not bring fear into your heart. That the goal of, of all of the passages of Scripture that deal with the return of Christ is not meant to strike fear in the heart of believers, but rather to give hope, to help us realize that Jesus is coming back, that this world is going to be restored. And so our hope is that Jesus is coming back. The second thing it is meant to do in the heart of believers is to remind us that we should be absolutely faithful to his mission until he returns. And this is what I want us to see this morning. So grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be reading in verse number one. It says that Jesus left the temple and was going away. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So in other words, you got these kind of country boys from Galilee in the big city of Jerusalem, and they're mesmerized by the buildings of the temple. They're like, Jesus, did you see the buildings? They are amazing. And so Jesus responds to their... Uh, them being in awe of the temple. And this is his answer, verse two. You see all these, do you not? Surely I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, say, so what in the world is Jesus talking about? Jesus is telling them that the temple is gonna be destroyed. That this building that they're so overwhelmed with, Jesus is saying, hey, there's a day coming when this temple that you're so overwhelmed with, it's gonna be completely obliterated. In fact, not one stone is gonna be left on top of another stone, and that day is coming. And when just like you and I, we would have asked the question the disciples asked. They were wondering, what in the world is he talking about, and when is he talking about? Wait, when is this gonna happen? Look what happens in verse three. As they sat at the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Now listen to this. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, don't miss what's happening here. The disciples are asking Jesus two questions. The first question is, when will the temple be destroyed? So when they make this statement, when will these things be? What are the these things? These things are what Jesus just predicted. The temple's going to be destroyed. And then they asked a second question because they realized these two probably go hand in hand. And so they asked the question, so when is your coming and when is the end of the age? Now, these disciples were not expecting a second coming of Christ because they only saw a first coming. They believed the Messiah was going to come in, overthrow all of the governments of the world and set up his throne. And his coming was going to be the establishment of his earthly kingdom. 
They did not anticipate a second coming. And so when they were asking this, when is your coming? When is the end of the age? They're asking, are you, are you getting close to establishing what we're hoping you established? Now, we now, we can look back at this text and recognize that when Jesus answers them, he is going to be answering them, describing his second coming. When he returns, the last days. And certainly, I think all of us would acknowledge that if you read the Bible and you look at culture, it is undeniable that we are living in the last days. That the things that the Bible describes are going to be happening in the world are happening all over the world. Now listen, so I believe the return of Christ is imminent. Now let me just make sure you understand, not because of what's happening in America right now. I think we think that we are the epicenter of everything in creation, when the truth is we're not. We're just a part of the story, a small part of the story at that. But what we see globally we see the evidences of the reality that we are living in the last days. And so here's what Jesus does. Jesus is going to answer both of these questions by making two prophecies, two predictions. The first is going to be about the destruction of the temple that will happen within 40 years of Jesus making this prophecy. The second is going to be about his second coming, his return. So what I want to do is I want to jump in and kind of walk through these, navigate you through this. So I'm going to read and then we're going to kind of give some commentary. And at the very end, I'm going to give some application. So I'm going to get you to lock in, have your Bibles open, and let's just kind of journey through the text and let this thing kind of walk us through Jesus answering this question. When is the temple going to be destroyed? When are you going to return? And I want us to dive into these two prophecies that help us answer those questions. Look what he says here in verse number four. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and uh, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things, listen to this, are but the beginning of the birth pains. Now, don't miss what's happening here. This is, what Jesus is describing here is what many theologians will call the time between the times. And here's what I mean. It's the time between Jesus' first arrival and his second coming. So it's the time between the time that we're living in now, the times between Jesus' ascension and his return to earth. And he's describing life in this very difficult way. He's describing, hey, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be famines. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be natural disasters. Jesus is describing, listen to this, cataclysmic events that will happen in the times between the times, and they will increase in their intensity the nearer we get to his return. This is what Jesus is describing. He's saying there are false Christs that are going to emerge. There are going to be cataclysmic events. There'll be famine. There'll be natural disasters. Now, notice what Jesus calls him. He says, but these things are but birth pains. Now, why is this so important? When Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the birth pains. He talks about the fact that creation groans, is longing for the return of Christ, is longing for restoration. And so we know that creation, because of the brokenness and the, the sinfulness of the world, that the, the creation is groaning out. These are birth pains, longing for the day of redemption. And what Jesus is saying, look, when you see these things, the last days, the time between the times, here's what you need to know. You need to recognize that these are birth pains. And this is why it's good news for you and I. 
is because what we know about a woman who is in birth pains is that there is about to be a delivery. So my wife gave birth to all three of our children naturally, which means no pain medication, no drugs whatsoever. She is she woman. I'm telling you the toughest woman I know. Crazy, but tough, right? So I remember sitting there, no one warned me in all of the classes that we went to, but she was going to go natural birth that she was actually going to turn into a demon at some point. Like no one warned me of this. And so I'm sitting here just kind of trying to coach her up and give her some direction. And she's got vomit coming out, head spinning and this deep voice coming from inside of her. And all of this was happening. But here's what was, I was wanting an epidural halfway through. I like, I, I need some help. And so I'll never forget though, like there was this moment where when she gave birth, it's like every, all, everything calmed and all of the pain was worth it because of the arrival of the baby, because of the new life that was there. Jesus says, listen, all of these things are going to be happening and increasing until I return. Understand this is but birth pains that I am, I am going to restore when I come. There is going to be new life and I'm going to restore all things back to the way that they should be. So endure the birth pains because in the end, it's going to be worth it. Jesus is giving this description and he's talking about the increasing struggle that we're going to have on the earth until he returns. Look what he says in verse nine. He says, and they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Now understand what he's saying here. He's saying it's going to be not only is life going to be increasingly more difficult for everybody in creation, but specifically it's going to become very difficult for followers of Jesus. That there is going to be hatred and hostility toward followers of Jesus, that there is going to be persecution and suffering to the point of which believer will actually hand over, or those who are among the believers, who claim to be believers, will actually hand over their brothers and sisters to the authorities. He says, there are going to be persecution. Some of you are going to be put to death. There's going to be great tribulation among my followers. There are going to be many people as time goes on, and this is happening all over the world. We have had the luxury of of experiencing Christianity in a nation where there's a lot of freedoms, but the rest of the world didn't have a lot of the freedoms that we enjoy. But he says, as the nearer we get to Christ's return, the more hatred there is going to be toward Christianity. And what we're seeing all around the world is this ever-increasing hatred, persecution, suffering, martyrdom. These things are a reality, and they're not going away. It's going to continue until Christ returns. Look at verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because, listen to this, lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold. Are we not seeing this today? We're seeing this, this, this absolute callousness of heart, depravity and brokenness and, and, and um, heartache all around us. And we are so desensitized, are we not? Like, think about some of the things that used to be gut-wrenching for us to see doesn't even catch our attention anymore. Like there's natural disasters. There's people living in utter just destruction day in and day out. And many of us have become indifferent. And Jesus is saying, listen, because of lawlessness will be, will be increased. The nearer we get to the return of Christ, he says, and the love of many will grow cold. We'll just become indifferent to the suffering and the brokenness of humanity. 
And this is gonna be ever increasing. This is the point Jesus is making. Look what he says, verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We're gonna come back to that. Jesus is simply describing what the world will look like as time draws near, as time draws nearer to his return. And here's what he says. These birth pains will become increasingly greater and more intense until he returns. Notice verse 14. This is great comfort and hope. Don't miss this. And the gospel of the kingdom. Now check this out. This is amazing here. In the midst of all of this suffering and the increasing of birth pains and the persecution and the martyrdom and, and the wars and rumors of wars. Listen, in the midst of all of this and this gospel of the kingdom, listen to this, will be proclaimed. Jesus is saying in the midst of all of the opposition, in the midst of all of the suffering, in the midst of all the devastation, there is one thing you can be sure of. The gospel will not be stopped. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Listen to this. And then the end will come. This is beautiful. Until Christ returns, despite how bad things get, despite how much suffering there might be, despite persecution and martyrdom, the gospel will be advanced. It will be moved forward. We will see Jesus's mission fulfilled, and it'll continue until he returns. Listen, that should bring great hope to us because the mission of God is not dependent upon the comfort and convenience of culture and society. It will be advanced despite his opposition. So Jesus here is giving a broad brush stroke summary of what life will look like in the times between the times. If you're with me, say I'm with you. That's the description. He's going to come back to that in a little bit. What Jesus is going to do in verse 15 is Jesus is going to actually step in and begin to give specific information about the prophecy of the destruction of the temple. And then immediately following that kind of tied to it, He's going to make a prophecy of what it's going to be like when he returns. So don't miss this. Look what he says in verse 15. Specifically now, he's going to talk about the destruction of the temple. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, which is the temple, let the reader understand. Now, Jesus is quoting and kind of referring to when he says the, the abomination of desolation, he's referring to Daniel. Why, how do we know that? Because he says he is. In fact, in Daniel's 8, 9, 11, and 12, Daniel refers to the abomination of desolation, which is a reference to something that would happen in the temple in the future. Now, most of, just follow with me for a moment, historically, most Jewish scholars believed that what Daniel prophesied in Daniel 8, 9, 11, and 12 actually took place in 168 BC under the rule of Antiochus Epiphanes. He came in, and he desecrated the temple, tore down the altars, erected an altar to Zeus, and had pigs sacrificed because that was an unclean animal. So he was trying to find the most vile way to bring contempt upon the temple of, uh, of Jerusalem of the Jews. And so many historians believe that Daniel's prophecy about the abomination of desolation actually took place. But what Jesus is going to show us here is that what we see that Antiochus Epiphanes did in 168 BC is really just child's play compared to what's going to happen to the temple in the future. 
what we're going to discover is, is that in just a few years, 40 years, in fact, after Jesus makes this prediction around 170 AD, the Roman soldiers would come in and seize the city of Jerusalem and they would rip the place apart. They would destroy the temple. You can go back and read secular history and you can see in detail the destruction that happened. The temple was completely destroyed. Not one stone left on another. Exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus in this moment is doing two things. He is preparing his disciples for what is coming in the immediate future. And he is going to help us see the near future event of the destruction of the temple is a foreshadowing of the greater destruction that's going to continue until he returns. I want you to see what he says here to his disciples about the destruction of the temple. Don't miss the severity of this. He says in verse 16, he says, when you see this, he said, then verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who sits on the housetop not go down to take uh, what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to get his cloak. In other words, he's saying, when you see this happen, when the, when the Roman soldiers come in to destroy, and Jesus is, is, I can think about, maybe he's, he's looking at these disciples, these men and women who he loves. And he knows what's coming in just 40 years. He's looking at this city and he sees what's the devastation that's coming. And he says to them, listen, it's going to be so severe that when it happens, don't go out and get your coat. Get, get to the mountains. Don't, if you're on your housetop and you're doing some work, man, don't, don't go gather your stuff. Just head for the hills. It's going to be terrible. He's preparing them for how to respond. Look at verse 19. He says, alas, for women and pregnant who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not happen in winter on the Sabbath. In other words, he's saying, men, for women who are late in pregnancy, this is going to be hard because they're going to have to immediately gather their stuff and travel. And for those who are nursing, it's going to be hard for them to have the nourishment they need to provide for their child. This is going to be devastating. And he says, and pray that it doesn't happen in winter. Why? Because the floodwaters rise and there's going to be a limited access of, of finding shelter Jesus is, is, is telling them, listen, things are about to get really, really bad. In fact, what we know historically is that tens of thousands of Jews lost their life in the siege of Jerusalem. Pestilence and famine and sickness, poverty was so bad that people died of diseases and it was so bad, the famine was so bad that they, historians tell us that women and father, mothers and fathers would actually cannibalize their children just to survive. Jesus is looking at the disciples and saying, this is coming and it's coming soon. 40 years later, these disciples, those who were alive at this time would have witnessed everything Jesus said. And some of you may be asking the question, Pastor, what in the world does this have to do with the second coming of Christ? And here's my answer to that. Number one is that if Jesus prophesied this near event and it happened, we can trust in the second event that he prophesied will happen as well. If Jesus says, hey, this is going to happen, and 40 years later it happened just like Jesus said it happened, then we should probably trust the fact that when he talks about his return, it's going to happen as well. Number two, I believe that Jesus is showing them that this near future event for the disciples is going to be kind of a foreshadowing of the type of suffering that humanity is going to experience until he returns. It's kind of this warning light of this is what is to come. This is a preview of coming attractions. 
Because why do we know this? Because Jesus immediately moves from that prophecy to the prophecy of his return. Look what he says here in verse number 21. He says, for then, and so he's now he's moving on to the next. After this, this will happen. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, nor will, uh, no, nor never will be. And for in those days, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, eyes right here just for a second. Don't miss this. Jesus is saying, for then, from that point forward, there's, life is going to get increasingly more difficult. So he's kind of getting back into the time between the times. He says, in fact, tribulation is going to rise so great that if the days of tribulation were not cut short, no human would survive. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of believers, God will cut those days short. Increasingly darker, darker, and darker until Christ returns. Notice the warning he gives us in verse 23. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So I've told you beforehand so that if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Jesus is saying in the midst of all of the suffering and all of the devastation that will be increasing, the birth pains that are going to continue to grow, he says in the midst of all of this, there's going to be false Christ, there's going to be false religions, and there's going to be prophets that say, hey, this is the way to life, and this is how you should live, and even some are going to deceive and say, no, 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 Jesus has already returned secretly, and here's where he is. Jesus is saying there's going to be deception on the rise, and even some of these are going to have demonic powers to perform miracles and signs so that they will deceive the world and even the elect, if it were possible, would be deceived by them. They're going to be so convincing. Now notice what Jesus says here. He says, now I'm telling you these things before they happen. Why? So that when they happen, you can go, ah, Jesus told us that these people are going to show up. So Jesus is preparing us for guarding our hearts against those who might deceive us, that don't be fooled by their power, don't be fooled by their message, don't be led astray with their claims. Stay faithful to me, and I'm telling you beforehand it's coming so that when it comes, you're ready for it when it comes. Jesus is helping us understand what it's gonna be like. Listen to what he says next. He says, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Listen to this imagery here. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So Jesus is simply saying this. The nearer you get to my return, they're going to be false prophets. They're going to be false Christ. They're going to be making false claims. They're going to be some that are saying he's not going to return. Some who are saying he's already returned in this secret way. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 make no mistake. I'm not coming in secret. When I return, everyone in creation will know that I have returned. How? Look at the analogies. He says, just like lightning lights up the night sky and it's unmistakable, that's what it's going to be like when I come. Just like when you see vultures circling in the air, you know a corpse is nearby. Listen, you will make, there will be no mistake when I show up. You will know when I arrive. How is he going to arrive? What is it going to look like? I'm glad you asked the question. Look what he says in verse 29. Immediately. 
after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will, be, will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the signs of the Son of Man. And then, listen to this, all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will be gathered, his elect, from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now listen to the imagery here. The sky will be darkened. Stars will fall from the sky. Now, whether this is figurative language or not, I can't answer the question, but here's what I do know, and here's the point Jesus is making. There will be no mistaking it when he returns. When Jesus comes back, he is coming in power and in majesty and glory, and there's not a single person on the planet that's not gonna recognize what's happened. And he says, this is even greater. He says, and on that day, when I return, I will gather my elect, my believers from the four winds, or the four corners or every part of the heavens. In other words, believers from every tribe, every nation, every tongue all over the globe will be gathered to me on that day. Jesus is coming soon. And he is coming in glory and he is coming in power. And every king on the planet will know who he is. And he says, and every king that is opposed to him will mourn on that day. So when Jesus returns, he's not coming to duke it out to see who's going to win. He's just going to come in and destroy everyone who's in opposition to him. All will mourn. All will mourn. That was half-hearted. All will mourn. Don't miss this. The elect will be gathered. The believers we brought near to the king. Everyone who is not a believer will be destroyed by the king. He's coming in power. Daniel warns us about this. Daniel prophesies this. The imagery here Jesus is using, he wants the readers to read Daniel. Daniel chapter seven, verse 13. Daniel writes this. I saw in the night's vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I saw one like the son of man. Why does Jesus refer to himself as the son of man? People get confused by that. Why? Because Jesus wants us to understand. You see, in Daniel, Daniel prophesied about the coming Messiah, the king that was gonna usher in God's kingdom. He would be the son of man. Jesus is wanting people to know, I am the one Daniel prophesied about. And Daniel prophesied that when this king comes, he is coming with dominion and power and authority and he is gonna rule and all nations will then submit themselves to him and he will forever reign in glory or power. Listen, make no mistake, believer. Listen to me. Don't miss this. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a suffering servant to bring salvation to the lost. But when Jesus returns again, he is not coming as a suffering servant. He is coming as the warrior king and he will bring judgment to everyone who is not in him. 
He is not coming to be elected king. He is coming as king and he will overthrow every single government power and he will reign and rule forever. Listen, do not miss this. If you are in Christ, you long for this day. If you are not in Christ, you should fear this day and you should submit to Christ today. He's coming with power. He's coming in glory. Say, when is this going to happen? I got the answer. You ready for it? When is Jesus going to return? Verse 36. Concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. AKA, put your charts away. Put your charts away. No one knows. Not even the angel of heaven, nor the son of man, but the father only. We don't need charts. We don't need timelines. We don't need predictions. The point that Jesus is making is not, I'm coming on this date, figure it out. His point is, I'm coming any day, be ready. That's his point. How do we know it's his point? Look what he says next in verse 27. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as though in those days they were, before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came, and swept them all away. Listen to this. So will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Don't miss the picture here. Noah is a real character, real historical person. The flood is a real historical event. The ark was a real historical experience. And Jesus is using this real life event as a foreshadowing of what the day of judgment is going to be like. Once you think about the story of Noah, because this is what I believe many of us in this room are thinking. So Noah knows the judgment is coming. He knows that the creator has seen the sins of the world. He knows that judgment is coming. But God in his grace and mercy has provided a way of salvation. There's an ark, which by the way, the ark is an imagery of Christ. That he is, it, is the, it is the gospel. It is the gift that God has given for humanity to be protected from the wrath that is to come. And so Noah in this moment is preaching as he's building the ark. Hey, the judgment is coming. The flood is coming. The judgment is coming. And for years, decade after decade, he's building and he's proclaiming. He's building and he's proclaiming. And the people were just like, man, Noah, we've heard this. You, you've talked about this. Man, we're, we're, we don't even know what a flood is. What is this thing you're building? Noah, just stop preaching this message. This is what was going on. How do we know? He says they were just eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. What is he talking about when he goes through that list of how they lived everyday life? Noah's lost his mind. Okay, Noah, I got you. Yeah, the ark, yeah, two decades, Noah. Yeah, great. I got a business meeting to attend. Oh, here I am again. Okay, Facebook. Okay, Noah's on here and he's like talking about this ark thing. All right, I'm gonna unfriend because I'm done with that. I got other things to do. 
Uh, there, there's Noah again. Wait, wait, Noah. Okay, I got it. But listen, I got to get to the tournament because the kids have a game. I don't have time to deal with your crazy story about some flood that's coming. And then without notice, one day the sky broke open and the ground gave way to the flood waters. And in an instant, Noah enters the ark and is protected by the grace of God. And everyone else not on the ark is destroyed by the judgment of God. And Jesus says, and that's exactly what it's going to be like when I come. You're just going to be going about your life, doing your deal, getting up. Just another day at the office and you're putting off. You're not seeing the urgent nature of my coming. And because of this, you're going to be caught off guard and you're going to be surprised. So how do we know this? Look what he says here. He goes on to give us some more insight. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. See, my whole life, I've heard this passage. It was preached in the context of the rapture. One would be taken and rapture and the other one left. But that's not the context. You, you, you got to read what he uses the analogy of Noah. Who were the ones in the analogy of Noah taken and who was the ones left? The ones taken were those who were taken by the floodwaters of judgment. The one left were those who were on the ark. So will it be in the coming of Son of Man. There'll be two people going to work, just sitting at the office. What you doing today? Oh, I got to get this file. I got to get done. Been thinking about it all night. Got to get this thing done. And without moments notice, one taken in judgment and the other one left because of the grace of God. There'll be two men heading out to the oil field, talking about the rig and the problems and the people and all the things they got to get taken care of. And without a moment's notice, one is taken in judgment, the other one safe in Christ. This is why it's urgent. This is why it's urgent. This is why we've got to ask ourselves the question, are we ready for Christ's return? Like he's coming and any moment he could arrive, at any moment he could show up. And so for those of you who are like, man, man, I've heard preachers for years talking about this, for decades, yes. And listen, there is going to be a day though, and it could be any day. When one taken, the other left. It could be today. Taken or left. This is why it's so urgent. And in this room, listen to me, eyes right here just for a moment. Listen, if Christ returns right now, taken or left, you're going to be taken in judgment or you are left because you were in Christ. You've got family members taken or left. Co-workers taken or left. People in your neighborhood taken or left. That's why it's so urgent. At any moment, Christ could return and it's either taken or left. So what are we doing to be prepared for this day? You see, why is this so important? Because eternity is at stake. Taken or left. Taken in judgment to a place of eternal punishment that we will talk about in detail next week. Urgency or in Christ to enjoy him forever. Let me give you three 
very quickly. I'm going to give you three exhortations. If you are a Christian in this room, if you're a believer in this room, so how do you respond to this? Three exhortations. Number one is this. You need to live with confidence in Jesus' sovereignty. You need to live in confidence in Jesus' sovereignty. Throughout this entire passage, Jesus is expressing his absolute control over the universe. This is why he gives warning about the temple destruction and the tribulation is to come because he's in control of it all. There's nothing that happens in time and space that Jesus is not sovereign over. This is why he says, look what he says in verse six. He says, so when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not alarmed for this must take place. Now, when you think about that, it is just kind of absurd to Jesus to say this. So when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famines and all this chaos is gonna happen and most of you are gonna die in, in, in persecution and suffering is in front of you, but don't be alarmed. You're like, thanks Jesus, but I'm alarmed. Why, why do we not have to be alarmed? Because of what he says next, for these things must take place. Why? His plan is unfolding. And so remember, you don't have to be alarmed. These are birth pains. Birth pains are difficult. Birth pains are hard. And it takes endurance. But in the end, redemption. In the end, new life. In the end, freed from the birth pains. But Jesus is sovereign over all of it. This is why he says, look, it's going to be bad. In fact, it's going to be so bad that if the days weren't cut short, no one would survive. But God's going to cut the day short in his grace and mercy. Why? Because he's in control. So let's just have some honest talk just for a second. Less than a month away, votes will be cast. Somewhere in the next few months, there'll be determination of who is going to be the next commander in chief of the United States of America. So let me help you. Three things, pray, vote, trust. Pray. Vote, trust. Because here's what I promise you. You ready for this? I can promise you there's a 50% chance that your person will not be elected president. There's a, there's a 50% chance that my person will not be elected president. But can I, when I guarantee you 100%, Jesus' candidate will be president because he's in control of all things. And by the way, so we're sitting here wondering who's going to be the commander in chief the next four years. Listen, I don't know who's going to be the commander in chief the next four years, but I know who's going to be the king of kings forever. And his name is Jesus. So I don't have to freak out with the times. I don't have to say, man, I don't know what's going to happen. And so what do I do? No, no, I'm going to trust that Jesus is in control. And whatever I go through, these things must take place. But they're just birth pains and they're about to give away to life which means I will not, as a pastor, let our church's mission be determined by an outcome of an election. Kings have come and gone. There have been Caesars and Neros and dictators and benevolent leaders come and go one constant. Jesus is king. His mission is our calling. And in the end, he wins. You gotta trust in the sovereignty of Jesus. Here's the second we need to live with endurance through Jesus's power. Live with endurance. The whole focus of this passage is faithful endurance. 
Persecutions will come. Deception will come. Tribulation will come. Jesus warns us so that we're not led astray. Don't fall away. He's saying some are going to fall away. Don't be one of them. Verse 13, he says, he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So listen, this is not meaning that if you endure, that's how you are saved. That would be a works-based salvation. He's saying the evidence of your salvation is that you will endure. So make certain your salvation, make certain your calling in Christ and be one who endures. It's the evidence of your salvation, not the means of your salvation. And listen, here's my fear for so many of us. So many of you in this room, listen to me. Here's, you're not going to endure to the end. Apart from you getting on your face before God and letting him break you down of all the things you prop yourself up with and all of the good works and all of the things that you think make you such acceptable person before the Lord. Listen, only those who are in Christ will endure to the end. And some of you, listen, you are not in Christ, therefore you will not endure to the end. But there's an invitation at the altar today for you to be made new in Christ so that you will. And so I'm gonna lay the cards on the table. Can I just be honest with you just for a second? I'm going to whether you're online or in the room. I sense so much apathy in the church right now. In this church, and in many churches all over our nation, there's never been a time where we need to be leaning in more. And I can't remember in my pastor a time where we've pushed away more. So let me be frank. I think coronavirus, I think, I think the coronavirus has given a, the, the best out. It's the greatest excuse ever for people to disengage. Now, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Listen, there are many, because of health, legitimate health reasons, you need to stay away and let the church love on you from a distance and let your group care for your needs, let your pastors love on you because of health reasons. That's a, that's a legitimate thing. But as a pastor has the opportunity to scan the room every single week and see who's not here and to see the number of people who've kind of pushed away. You see, I think when we think of will not endure to the end, we just think of some cataclysmic thing that all of a sudden now they just go, it's just, it's a slow drift of disengagement. And so it's funny, I have conversations like at Walmart, hey, we're just not ready to get back to church. We're on aisle seven. No one is in mask. Like you, we're, we're at the basketball game. You like, your kids are like, you can't, you're not ready for church yet? It's a great excuse. Others, when you lift the math, mask requirement, I'll come back. So, Cardinal, nobody likes the mask. It's a part of what we, where we are right now. We can't endure through wearing a mask. And I'm seeing a drift, faithfulness. 
So I'm, not, I'm faithful to Jesus. Listen, we, we can't claim to be faithful to Jesus if we're not faithful to the people of Jesus. We've got to guard our hearts. This, this is a time not to withdraw. This is a time to lean in. And I know many of you, maybe in the room, maybe online, you are bowed up right now with me. You may not like what I say. You may not want to hear what I say. But there is truth in what I say. And my prayer is is that you would ask the Lord to examine your heart. Where are you in the endurance game? Leads me to number three. You ready for it? Live with urgency on Jesus's mission. Live with urgency on Jesus's mission. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, everybody say, and then. And then the end will come. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This is why we go on local and global missions. Listen, for Christians, our eschatology. What is eschatology? It's the study of end times, the study of return of Christ. Our eschatology should line up with our missiology. What is missiology? It's the study of missions in the, in the, in the Great Commission. Our eschatology and our missiology go hand in hand. Why? Because in light of the fact that Christ is returning, we should be faithful on his mission. Now is the time for us. Knowing that at any moment Christ could return, if that is true, we should never be more devoted to the mission of Jesus than we are right now. Because if he could come at any moment, then we need to be ready. What does it mean to be ready? It means to be faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the mission. See, how do you know this? Because Jesus tells a parable. He wants us to know what it means to be faithful. He says this in verse 45. He said, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has set him over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he returns. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drinks with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice the metaphor here. The master's departing and he entrusts the servants with a responsibility. This is what I'm calling you to do. And Jesus says, who then is the the wise servant? He is the one who, when the master returns, is found faithful doing what the master called him to do. Our master has ascended and he has entrusted his servants with the calling of the Great Commission. The wise and faithful servant would be the ones who are found when the master returns doing the very thing he's called us to do. What does it mean to be ready for the return of Christ? Does it mean that we've prayed a prayer and we go to church? It means that we're living with an urgency of the mission, recognizing that our master could show up any moment. He says this gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations and then the end will come. So the question, New Beginnings Baptist Church, we should be wrestling with, is the mission over? I mean, are we done? And our church has grown and we reach a lot of people, but are we done? 
And I would say to you emphatically, no, we've not even started. Why? Because Jesus has not yet come back. How do we know the mission of New Beginnings Baptist Church is done? Jesus is here and he's back. That's when he'll return. And I don't know about you, I, I long to be the generation that finishes the task. My grandma used to do these puzzles, 1,000, 2,000 piece puzzles, cover up an entire big dining room table. And every once in a while, I would go over there, I'm watching the progress, and it'd be the last piece. And she would say, you want to put the last piece in? And I got the privilege of walking over, putting the last piece in. It's like, it's finished. How incredible would it be for our generation to be able to put the last piece of the puzzle in, for Christ to say it's finished. The mission is accomplished. Church, let's be found faithful. I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor. I'm just asking you to bow your heads. There are some of you in this room right now, and I'm not, I'm not gonna beat around. I'm just gonna get straight to it. There are some of you in this room right now and the reality is you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are uncertain. If Christ was to come today, you are uncertain of whether you will be taken or left, whether you will experience judgment or whether or not you have already received grace. Make no mistakes. You will either be judged in Christ by embracing his death and resurrection or you will be judged by Christ. And so right now, if you're in this room and you say, are, are on, watching online and you're like, oh, you're uncertain. Like, I'm, I'm not certain. I don't know if I'd be taken or left. I have a question mark over my soul. And maybe the last couple of months you've been hearing the gospel and stirring you, but you've not responded. You've not responded with a sense of urgency. I would say to you, listen, it is an urgent message and it is demanding that you respond with an urgency. So if you're here right now, and I, again, I'm, it's not going to make this easy for you because heaven and hell is at stake. Right now, if you are in this room and you're like, I am uncertain about where I'll spend eternity. If you're in this room right now, where you are, I'm going to ask you with no one looking around just to stand up, come forward. There's going to be men and women here to greet you at the front. Right now, where you are. See, I have a question mark. You say, man, in front of all these people, first of all, their eyes are closed. Secondly, does it really matter? Does it really matter? We're talking about eternity. Right now, you say, I don't, I don't know Christ. Or I don't know if I know him. If you're online and you're watching this right now and you're like, man, I feel that urgency. I'm not certain if I know Christ. Here's what I would say to you in this moment. You need to respond. You need to trust in Christ. Just cry out to him right now and just say, Jesus, I need a savior. And I believe you died and resurrected and I want you to come and be my Lord. I want to serve you the rest of my life. And if you are serious about this, where you can't stand up and come forward, what you can do is just send a message right now um, to our church, whether it's Facebook, or you can text us at NBBC to the number 313131. And we'll have somebody reach out to you and help you in this new journey.
So for those of you that are in the room and you know Christ, my question for you is, are you faithful? Are you living with urgency? So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond. You can come and pray with some of our encouragers. You can come kneel at this altar. But if you have people in your life that you know, I don't, I don't know where they're going to spend eternity. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you. Don't miss an opportunity. Ask Jesus to prepare your heart to have conversation, knowing that eternity is at stake and God has placed them in your life. Father, I love you, and I pray now in the name of Jesus that we could just respond for a few moments in worship, getting our focus on you and attention on you, hearing what you have to say to your people. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would.